This is the Down East EM Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Down East EM Podcast. Today, I actually want to do something a little bit different. Uh, we spend a lot of time talking about how to properly educate our residents to make for good doctors. People in MedEd could really spend days or weeks sort of discussing the changes that are going on in GME, how we're doing it, and really what we should be doing now. But we rarely involve the actual subjects of our pondering in the discussion, the residents. So here today, I have Andrew Fried and Shayla DeLay, our graduating chief residents, two out of three, to discuss how to educate residents. So guys, thank you for joining us, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thanks for having us, Jason. So uh, my name is Shayla DeLay, as Jason said. I um, grew up in Maine. I'm one of the third-year residents at Maine Medical Center Emergency Medicine. Um, and I went to the University of New England in Biddeford, mm-hmm. Maine for medical school uh, and really wanted to stay here in Maine. Um, next year, I'm going to be staying in Maine for a little while. I'm doing a global health fellowship that's um, through Penn Bay Medical Center up in Rockport, Maine. Um, where I'm going to be spending two summers there. Um, and then in between for nine months, I'll be in Thailand at a rural hospital. with uh, It's a 40-bed hospital on the Thai-Burmese border. Very cool. That's yeah. exciting changes. Yeah. What about you? I'm Andrew Freed. Uh, not quite as exciting as what Shayla's doing. But um, originally from Philadelphia, went to Temple Medical School, now up here in Maine and loving it. So uh, sticking around for another year, going to do an ultrasound fellowship here. Excellent. Again, thank you guys for joining us. So let's open with some basics. Uh, you guys have a very high performance class in terms of in-service scores. And while we recognize that study strategies are going to vary by the student and your technique is kind of not a u- universal recipe for success, I'm sure it has some general applicability. How do you guys and your classmates study independently? I think you're right that the variability is huge. I mean, even just talking amongst our peers, some people are huge podcast people, whereas I know a couple other people in the residency say they absolutely learn nothing from podcasts. They can't retain anything. That's one of the main ways I I tend to learn. Some people are question people. Some people are learn after a shift people. Um, I I wish there was like one thing I could nail down that we all have in common, but I think it really is quite variable. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, I think one thing that our program is really good about is encouraging a lot of studying and providing Mm -hmm. different sources and resources for that. Um, Our program director really encourages reading a lot, um, and I I think a lot of people have uh, do struggle with that, but they encourage that. Um, We also get ROSH review through the program, which is just a question bank, Mm -hmm. um, and we're assigned questions every month that we're required to do. So I think that's a great way, one, to force us to do questions and then encourage us to use that resource as well. Um, But I do think that... we are able to, you know, tap into our attendings a lot and ask them what they use for studying, which is great. So we have Down ECM, which is helpful, um, and a lot of people do use a podcast. Sure. I totally see the argument about kind of starting with the basics, and I know the program director here is, uh, you know, start with the text, a, a, a piece of uh, paper in your hand. Well, are you guys Rosens or Tinnelli's fans? We're a big Adams group here, mostly yeah. because of Andy. Yeah. Okay. But there are definitely a handful of residents that are Rosens and Tintinelli people as well. Sure. Yeah, and having purchased Adams at the beginning of engineer and not being someone that learns from reading, I will say that I haven't utilized that resource as much as maybe I should. Um, and I think that Adams seems to be much more basic than Rosens and Tintinelli. So okay. uh, to our under, our PGY2s and and ones, I have personally recommended getting Rosens or Tintinelli because I think it goes into more depth. Sure. 
Sure, and I could I could see that as well. And I feel like a lot of people kind of do this natural transition from these textbooks and structured and you know even uh, problem based cases or uh, discussions of you know the patient with chest pain, the red painful eye, into more podcast things, which are sometimes more the sexy topics, more the cutting edge. Uh, would you guys agree with that? Totally. Um, that's one of the drawbacks of podcasts is you're going to hear what's up and coming, but you might not have that basic ground level content. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few that have made that better. There's like the C3, there's the crunch time, which are kind of a more textbook approach, but through audio so that if you're someone who wants to learn at the gym or when you're shopping versus sitting down and using textbook, if you can retain that way, it still gives you kind of a, a ground level education, which is nice. There's a group out of Canada too that does, I think it's Canadian. Mm-hmm. EM at the mm-hmm. end, and they have a podcast, Crackcast, I think mm-hmm. it is, yeah. and they basically just go through all the Rosen's chapters. Mm, interesting. Um, and it's basically question-based. Uh, so that's really helpful, especially if you're like, man, I really want to go back over sepsis management, mm-hmm. and they'll just go through that chapter, because I'm not a, a good learner when I read, but I can I learn a lot when yeah. I hear it, so I found that to be really helpful. Sure. Yeah, the, there's the arguments for and against, are you an audio learner, are you a visual learner? probably maybe debunked but a lot of people make arguments against that and trying to get it in different forms but if you guys are interested more in this general topic of taking content and then you also need to do either some generation or some review so reading and then questions mix and match it sounds like you guys are right on in terms of how you all study and and prepare for the in-service awesome so let's transition from that to sort of learning on shift there are some attendings who kind of just see that the education on shifts comes from seeing patients. The more patients you see, the more you learn. And that's certainly the case. But uh, how do you guys feel about on-shift teaching? Does it stick with you? Is it more of just a flow interruption? And how does this vary by year, kind of PGY1, PGY2, 3, and if there is, 4? It's a great question. On-shift teaching is really challenging, I would imagine, from the attending perspective to find that time, especially on really busy shifts, which are pretty typical for us at Main Med. I think there are there's a time and a place for it. When it's really busy as a resident, I find it really hard to absorb that knowledge because my mind is in a million different places. And when I have someone going through the intricacies of an EKG or management of a specific problem, I, ha- I tend to have a hard time absorbing that mm-hmm. and actually paying attention because I have three nurses that are waiting to talk with me or my phone's ringing. Um, However, on the flip side of that, that's when things are really going to stick because Mm -hmm. you have an actual clinical situation and patient that you can remember. So I think on-shift teaching is some of the best teaching, but also some of the most challenging to really fit in. For sure. Find time for. So I imagine as an attending, it's hard to incorporate that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's very useful early on, especially. So for the interns, it's it's really huge. Uh, if you think about it, the most education that's going to come out of a clinical shift is going to be when you have a true question that you don't know the answer to. And that's going to just, by nature, be more common intern year. So when the intern comes in and doesn't know so much and they're getting actual teaching and guidance through a clinical question, I feel like they take away a lot from that. Whereas kind of by third year when you're... A, a, a lot of those questions are more clear to you. When you do have that big pathway and you're having to make a big decision, that sticks with you as well. And some of that comes from just making that decision and going with it. But I think the actual teaching, let's write down a couple things on a paper, let's broaden this differential, um, intern year is super helpful. Sure. Do you guys find people are applying, you kind of see the, the, the technique of like post-it note pearls or that one takeaway thing. I feel like that is sometimes the way to go for the, you know, the higher functioning or the more rapidly moving resident who you need to try to get something out of every case, every third case, and if it, even if it's small, it may stick. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I think that's totally true. We, we have one attending here, Sam Wood, who focuses specifically on that. Her goal for the year was to have a disaster of a day every single day that she would ask each resident before they left their shift. And it was the idea of it was to have a situation where you can't use your peripheral brain. So you need to know something that you can't look up on your phone, you can't look up on the computer, you're there in that moment and you have to make decisions in seconds. And it's just one question and you have to answer within a couple of minutes and it's fantastic. It helps you focus on those things you need to know right now in emergency medicine and you walk away from that shift just that one more um, component wiser. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. I definitely would second that, that Sam does a great job with that. I think a lot of our attendings do, finding one specific thing about each case and it might be something minor, like this is how you can use the EMR better mm-hmm. with this particular you know, clinical scenario. And making it simple and fast, it, it, it's easier to fit into shift teaching and then I'm gonna pay attention longer. Sure. That. Yeah. I think that's a good point as well, especially as you get into the upper years and you're getting closer and closer to attendings. I find you know asking what do you guys wanna take away or what can I offer, sometimes the, the answer is how can I be more efficient? How can I be more prepared to operate independently? It doesn't necessarily have to be a clinical skill or you know, medical education, but just sort of functionality as well. So good, good point there. On that same line, I think this strays away from the in-service scores and boards and stuff, but some of the most beneficial learning on shift comes from just modeling behavior. So mm-hmm. picking two or three attendings that are phenomenal at talking to families or educating patients. And just being in the room and seeing how they do it, I learned so much from that on shift that you can't read in a textbook and definitely makes you a better doctor. For sure. I actually remember back when you were at, at our at our shop, we did a, a case of a very low acuity, like a URI case, and you asked me to take the lead. And I thought that was kind of strange. It's URI, it's basic, basic care, but it's a modeling example, right, in terms of how you explain to patients why they don't need antibiotics, things like that. So there are opportunities in there, and I think you guys have a the right mind frame for that. Um, so collectively then, where do you guys feel like you do most of your learning? Was it sort of through your clinical rotations? Was it in your conference time or that independent study that we talked about initially? Where do you think most of your education is coming from? That's a great question. I think it's a combination. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say personally that I get most of my learning from any one of those things. I certainly learn a great deal on shift and each day I'm going to come away with something new that I might need to look up and should look up after shift. Mm-hmm. We are required to do patient follow-ups every month, so we get some learning from that as well. Uh, I think I get a lot of my learning from conference. Our conferences are really strong, mm-hmm. and our program leadership really pushes to get great guest speakers, and all of our our residents are required to do multiple lectures throughout their residency and the bar is really high so i think our lectures every wednesday are incredibly strong and a great place to you know catch up on some of the more up-to-date emergency medicine yeah i agree it's it's hard to nail down exactly where i get most of my benefit from i think ideally i try and read after each shift but there's two problems with that one being you see common things commonly, right? So as Andy says, that's great if you want to read after shift about what you saw, but you still have to learn about Sjogren's syndrome someday for your boards. So that's the one pitfall there. And the second is sometimes you're just so beat after a shift that it's unrealistic to expect that you're going to read about a patient you saw every single time. So you need you need that breadth of knowledge and you need some consistency. So I think for me, I do some foam education, some podcasting, but I agree with Shayla, our conferences are super strong and that helps, that helps give you some of that base as well. Excellent. All right, so finally, I'm going to ask you a slightly different and I think a little bit more challenging question. I've given you each four index cards. Uh, Each one has a different pillar of the EM resident's training on it. 
and I've asked you to rank them in order from most to least important and without showing your co-chief. So before we get into them, the four that I gave out were useful clinical rotations is number one, talented faculty good on-shift teaching number two, good didactic slash conference number three, and number four, independent learning. So who wants to go first in showing what they have? I can go first. Perfect. So I ranked my number one as talented faculty and good on-shift learning. Number two I thought was useful clinical rotations. Third most important being good didactics and conference. And then lastly, independent learning. Okay. Anything to justify your thoughts or, or your ranking? Yeah, I mean... I'm, I think for me personally, I'm not a very good independent learner, mm-hmm. so I put that at the bottom okay. because I think that the rest of these trump uh, for me personally and that the rest of these would allow me to become a strong resident here at Maine Med. Sure. I think what really makes our program strong is our talented faculty and that we get a lot of on-shift learning and there's just a you know plethora of patients to learn from. And then additionally, we do have a lot of useful off-service out of the ED rotations where uh, this, the faculty are really dedicated to our learning despite the fact that we're you know not their residents and we're sure. coming from the emergency department. Mm-hmm. And as Andrew and I mentioned, I think we have really strong conferences and didactics so I think that's also important too. Perfect. Independent learning being at the bottom. Being last. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Andrew? So I also put talented faculty and good teaching on shift first, followed by good didactics and conference, then independent learning, and then useful clinical rotations. Oh, interesting. So mm-hmm. you slightly different. I think slightly. yeah, both of us put the, the faculty and on shift teaching first and value the conference highly, but and oddly enough, independent learning kind of lower down. But I put clinical rotations Last, I think it's great for some procedural stuff and for some niche knowledge, but um, mm-hmm. overall for basic EM stuff, I found just being in the department more helpful than being off service. Sure. Interesting. That is interesting. That's a yeah. good point. I think it's, uh, you know, as you guys might recall going through and looking at your different programs, some will have stronger than other rotations. Some you kind of look at their schedule and say, that probably isn't going to teach me much. It's a filler. Uh, but universally, I feel like that universal clinical rotations I'm sorry useful clinical rotations is probably well covered by most EM programs at this point there are some outliers and if you have useless rotations it's going to make for a bad bad training I believe I actually I think I would mirror yours Shayla more than yours Andrew I'm sorry (laughs) but I think um yeah, I, I, I mean, the value in, in clinical faculty cannot be overstated, obviously. And then independent learning, that is, of course, and as the name says, it's independent of the program itself. I think you actually outlined some good points that the way that your program directors and your, your culture uh, sort of encourages independent learning and push one another to do so and how you structure your journal club and things like that is going to lead to the development of a good, you know, CME style and a way of educating yourself clinically on shifts and outside of that. But it's outside of the realm of the program that you're in, I would say. I think it's very interesting how you guys outline that. And I totally agree with that. That faculty is, you can't replace that, right? That skill set is invaluable and and you're right on the money. So, yeah, I would second that, Jason. I think we are really fortunate here at Maine Med to have faculty who are not only really talented and super smart and well-trained, but incredibly dedicated to our education. They go above and beyond to not only treat us on, teach us on shift, rather, but are present at our conferences, reach out to us if 
they feel that anyone might be struggling. Mm-hmm. And further, you did touched on the topic of journal clubs. We have really strong journal clubs in our program as well. Once a month, we get together at one of our faculty's houses. They host us, cater dinner, and they're really well attended by not just that faculty member, but other faculties and members as well. So I think we all feel really lucky to have such a dedicated set of attendings here. They're really um, invested in our education. Yes. And I think beyond just their investment, one of the things we're luckiest about is how varied they all are. So we get to see people from all ends of the spectrum, from pretty conservative to a little bit more um, willing to accept some risks, super fast, a little bit more thoughtful sometimes, or um, you know all the different specialties as well. So geriatrics and peds and all the different things you can go into. So just seeing different practice styles and trying to figure out where you're going to fit in when you when you're out, out on your own and um, what your practice is going to be like. So that, that's helpful to model after as well. Fantastic. I think that's great insight that you guys had and you guys have picked up through your three years. Just to sort of summarize before we close, it sounds like you know the way that you guys have gotten your education over these three years, it's variety matters, right? You need to be taking things in not only on clinical shift, not only on independent practice and at conference, but in all three forms or as many forms as possible. And then also not in one manner. You're not just absorbing information, but you need to be questioning your knowledge. You need to be pulling some of this information that you recently learned from the recesses of your mind before you lose it. And then recognizing the strengths and and diving into what your residency offers in terms of its skill set. Really talented faculty with a diverse set of skills and backgrounds and training as well. How they approach patients, how they interact with patients at bedside. Tapping into the resources outside of just their medical knowledge when you're on shift and outside of it is going to lead to the strong residents that you guys have become today. Awesome. Any other thoughts, guys, before we close? No. Well, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, yeah I appreciate being us. able to pick your guys' brains, and, and good luck for in, in the years to come. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks, Jason. Okay, that's all for the Down ECM podcast for now. Please always remember to put your comments and questions in the comments section. If you like what you hear and want to follow us for more, you can find us on iTunes, or through your RSS feed or your favorite podcast app on your smartphone. Until next time.